Welcome to Sinners Take Another Catholic Guys Podcast, of which we are the worst. I am Eddie. I am Corey. And I am Cody. Welcome back, everybody. We are here in the live studio audience. We got a crowd of 250 people. Say hi, everybody. Goes wild. Uh, no, today we are going to be talking about um, some fun topics. I'm um, kind of just this idea of are we worthy of God's love? Sometimes, well, what do you do when you feel unworthy of God's love? How do we handle the slow, tedious process of the faith life, essentially, I would say? Mm, Initial sure. thoughts, anybody? Yeah. Ladies first. So the thought is, I guess, stems from a discussion that we had last night. I guess where I kind of have felt I have been spiritually a little bit, or I guess maybe just more of a, where I find myself tempted to go frequently. And I think it's a place that, you know, a lot of people are tempted to go frequently. I just heard a homily about St. Teresa of Avila, where she, I guess she didn't pray for like 15, 20 years or something like that because she loved Jesus, but felt unworthy of his love. So just, was it really that long? I think so. I think she, I was told again, my memory is spotty, but if I remember correctly, she entered the convent pretty young, like in her twenties and then didn't have a reversion or like didn't come back to prayer until she was 40 right now. Again, I don't know if that whole time she wasn't praying or if it, sure, was just, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't like she was never, ever praying, probably just never intentionally engaging in the spiritual life. Yeah. But that's crazy. I mean, I had heard that story. I don't, I guess I never really processed how long it was. Sign me up for the Teresa of Avila method. <laughs> <laughs> Don't pray for 15 years and then instantly become a mystic. That's <laughs> yeah, sign me up for that the one. dream. But yeah, so I think this is like a, a genuine concern or struggle that a lot of people, even like some of our greatest saints have had. So I guess it's worth talking about. Uh, and I, I think it's especially relevant today where, you know, depression or self-hatred is so prevalent in the community or the society in the community. So I think the, the first question that I guess really ought to be answered is why is this something that people struggle with? Like where, where does, what is even the root of this struggle for people? I guess that's a question I pose to the two of you guys is what, like what your thoughts are on that. Hmm. Probably should have thought about this more. <laughs> should have saw this question coming. But no, I think right off the bat, it seems to be the case that we just don't feel worthy of God's love. Right. And we don't know how to, to grapple with that. Mm. I think above all else, kind of like the first question that we had posed at the beginning of this was, are we worthy of God's love? Right. Are we worthy of God? And I think the long, you know, the short answer is no. Right. We're not worthy of God's love, but he has given us value by creating us in his image, by giving us worth and therefore has made, created us good. And all of these things, all this good stuff comes from God. And it's like, no, we are not worthy of God's love, but we are loved. And I just, I don't think many of us can come to terms with that because I think just as humans, we pretty much everything in life seems most naturally when it's earned. And I think in, in any circumstance, almost the virtue of receiving love is one of the most difficult virtues for people to master, I think, in general. Like, we don't even like it when our friends do something nice for us oftentimes. We struggle to receive gifts. We struggle to receive acts of service. 
we like to do them, but we don't like to receive things. And especially if we haven't earned them as a general rule of thumb, I think. And I think overall we do struggle as a people in just understanding that we are loved, even though we aren't worthy of it. Yeah. Just something that came to mind right now is the irony of some of these saints, priests, sisters who are more than willing to love the marginalized and find a place in their heart for forgiveness for people in their local community. But then when it comes to their own forgiveness in the eyes of God, the father, they can't come to grasp or understand how, how that is to be, but yet they're living it out every single day with the people around them. But then when it outwardly, but then when it comes to the inward reflection, they don't find themselves worthy and they're working with people, you know, in the community that probably struggle more than they do spiritually and they find them holy and they don't, but yet they don't find themselves holy. And I, I wonder if, and almost seems like this is a necessity of the spiritual life is to grapple with this and understand that you are loved. I mean, cause I think you take some of the greatest saints though, who died young, they usually had a good understanding of this. I mean, the most obvious example is Therese of Lisieux, right? And she says all of her sin was but a drop of water in the blazing inferno of God's love. She understood that she was loved, even though she was flawed. And I think that it almost is like directly proportional to how holy you can be is exactly proportional to how much do you understand that God loves you, even though you don't deserve it. That just doesn't come naturally to a lot of people, I don't think. I think... One, we all struggle to receive love in this world. And even when we do, it sometimes feels fake or shallow. And to have to experience such a, a blinding, pure, good love like there is from God, most of us wither in the light of God's love as opposed to like come alive in it, I think, at least at, at, least at first. I think, and I'm just speaking from my own experience here, I think as I've done like a little bit of self-reflection about this, it's weird because there are times where I feel like I want to feel that way. I almost try and push myself into feeling more unworthy or try and push myself into getting myself to believe that, yeah, I'm just, I'm not there. Like I'm not good. And God's almost like wasting his time with me. A part of that is, is maybe just like, it offers like the release of feeling something right? Even if it is sadness, like, like when you're sad, listening to sad songs to make yourself more sad, just to be in the feelings. But I think another part of it that I was thinking about just now was it's so much easier if I am not good, right? It's so much easier if God doesn't love me because then there's no requirement on me. I can just kind of accept my lack of goodness and do whatever I want now because I'm not good anyways and nothing I I do is going to get me to that point, right? And God doesn't love me or the temptation is to feel like God doesn't love me and he never will. So what's the point of trying? Like what's the point of putting in any effort? So it almost takes the onus off of me trying and giving an effort to being holy and, and knowing how to receive love. I apologize if people have listened to this before, but I, I ever repeat myself, I thought like when we were, when we would start the podcast that I'd be like, yeah, we talked about that. But between teaching and like doing youth ministry and doing the podcast, it all blurs together. I have, honestly don't remember everything that I've said, but uh, I know that this has been a big struggle for me in my own personal life is just coming to terms with the fact that we are love and we do need saved. And I think, I think we did talk about this in, in the Di- don't dilute the cross episode, which I don't think either one of you, well, we, neither one of you were in, but um, that like, I used to think I, in my head is that, you know, if I 
if God loved me, that means that I must have been perfect and I didn't need a savior. I didn't need somebody to like pull me up out of my darkness because I was perfect. And I would only be loved if I was perfect. But on the other side of that, I thought if I was, you know, if I was imperfect and did need a savior, then I couldn't have possibly been loved. And that was a big struggle in my faith because, you know, obviously that completely goes against all of Christianity is that Christianity is that Jesus Christ came and died for us on the cross as our savior. And nobody comes to save somebody that doesn't need to be saved. So obviously we need a savior. On the flip side of that, nobody dies on the cross for someone that they don't love. So somehow, some way, we desperately need a savior and we are passionately loved. I never was able to really come to terms with that for a very long time in my life. But it, it does, it changes everything in the faith. If you can come to terms with the fact that God is not, it's almost, you, it's, it's like, it's almost like you do need to, like you had said, you like to, you almost like to think about it in the sense of to, to dive into that sadness of I am unworthy, right? But it almost seems like you do need to understand that you are unworthy, right? You do need to say that God more or less is wasting his time with you, but in a good way, right? Like he, yes, you are unworthy of him. Yes, you are lowly, but he has given you worth and therefore you mean everything to him. It's like humble yourself all the way so that he can completely lift you up. But I do think the struggle is, is we like to lower ourselves all the way and then sit with it and just be like, that's it. You know, and just kind of dwell in, it's like in Psalm 139 that we were just talking about a little while ago. And we have a little men's group with some more people as well as people in this room right now. Uh, but I, I had prayed with Psalm 139 a bunch of times, but the last time we had prayed with it, uh, the line where it says, if I make my bed in Sheol, which is, you know, like the lowest of the low, and it says like, make my bed in it. And I, I feel that right. Where we liked, when we fall into sin, when we fall into darkness, we like to make our bed there, which implies like, I'm going to stay here for a little bit. I'm going to make myself comfortable here. I'm not like, not if I like, if I fall down into Sheol, not if I, if I stumble my way into Sheol and I'm trying, or if I'm trying to claw my way out of Sheol, it's, I have gone to Sheol and I'm going to get comfortable here and stay here a while because it's almost like once we fall into this, we like to sit in it for a while. I think it's worth noting that that is in itself a sin to intentionally give into despair or to intentionally try and remove myself from God's love because I don't feel worthy of it, you know, because it is to miss the mark. It is to miss the mark that of everything you just said, that I am loved and that does require some response from me. And even though I have fallen, the response that it requires of me now is to get back up and keep trying to give into despair and to blatantly reject God's love, even though we know it's there just simply because we don't feel worthy of it is in itself a sin. And so a little call to action for myself. Yeah. Absolutely. And the, the court, important thing is to like intentionally choose it. Like I, I don't want to make it seem like, cause it's a struggle, right? You, it's a struggle. Oh, yeah. You have to struggle against that. Right. Cause that's our tendency is, is to, when we're low, we want to be lower. We're just like, ah, whatever. Might as well just keep sinning. Yeah. And that's, a, you have to viciously struggle against that. Um, to make to make the bed in Sheol is the sin, not to wrestle with am I good or not? Because if you if you wrestle with that, that's just because you know that is because you are human, and that is because you are, like you said, un- you are unworthy in the face of infinite love. And how could how could you not question that? But to give into it and to act from that place and to continue to act towards that place, that is that is the fault. Yeah, and I th- I think. 
the questioning is good. Anytime you're you're still on the fence of, of, of the questioning and you haven't fully given in yet means that there's something within you that still is working towards that higher good or that greater good, trying to contemplate that greater good. I wanted to go back a little bit to what Eddie was talking about when he was talking about contemplation of the cross and coming to grips with all of that and how that really helps. Bishop Fulton Sheen talks about how if even if you, whoever is out there listening, or just me, Corey, was the only person to ever exist in this universe, Christ still would have died on the cross for me. And when I really came to process that, it really brought into perspective his love is so infinite, yes, but it's so specific to every single individual. He doesn't, he's not capable of loving anybody any differently. And so when you can understand that he loves you the same way he loves St. Peter, or he loves you the same way that he loves his mother, I know it's hard to grasp it, but if you can just picture yourself alone with Christ and him on the cross doing that for you, it, it really should help you come to understand that it's not this infinite, vague type of love, but it's a specific, relational type of love that he knew you when he was in the womb. He knew who you would turn out to be. He knew that he would come to save you specifically and did come to save you specifically. And from the mo- before you were ever born, you were worthy of all of that. This is why you came into existence, because you were worthy of all of that. Now, you coming to grips with that worthiness is different, but he knows you're worthy of that. Worthy by nature of him making us worthy. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Absolutely. It's, and it's almost, it's, like we thought, like you talked about, it's almost it, to, to reject the reality of God's love is just, it's malice, right? It's, it's, if I give you something and you reject it because you don't feel worthy of the gift that I give you, right? If I, if I like, if I love you and I like decided, I, you know what, I'm, I'm going to, for a year, I'm going to cut out drinking coffee, whatever. I don't drink coffee, but whatever, going to Starbucks or whatever it is. And I'm going to cut that out and put that money aside so I can buy you a thing that you really wanted that is expensive, like a thousand dollar gift or whatever, you know? And I say, and I give that to you and you're like, I don't want it. Like, I, I don't feel worthy of that. That's, that's malice towards, and that's going to harm the relationship, right? Is that, so if God, like, yeah, we are unworthy of the gift, but he, he's giving it to us. And if we don't accept it, that's, that's insulting. And it's a denial of the reality that it, that is there. Right. Mm-hmm. Can I pose a question here that's just I'm pondering on about this. Does God see the potentiality in us when we don't see the potentiality? So like all we're focused on is the actuality, like in actuality right now in this moment, I am unworthy. I'm an unworthy sinner. But God continually offers that gift of grace because he knows that I have the potential to be the next saint. He's Everybody has the potential to be the next saint, even when we don't see it. So does he? Is that fair to say that he sees that when we don't see that? And that's why he's infinitely giving us this love, even when we don't feel worthy of it. I mean, I think, yeah. And I think, I think that that's kind of like the caveat of unconditional love that God has for us is not, it's not like, I mean, it is unconditional love. He loves us unconditionally, but it's not unconditional approval, right? It's not, it's not unconditional approval of everything we do. It's like, it's an unconditional, like positive regard to the best parts about us. Like, I, going back to Psalm 139, I did not, I had no intention of thinking that this was going to come up in this podcast, but I love where it says, you know, my inmost being, because I think our inmost being is who we are deepest on the inside. That is what God created. That is like, has been twisted and manipulated by sin 
our entire life, but God knows and sees our inmost being that he created to be good. And he loves us for who that potential could be. And to whatever extent that that does exist in our life right now, but he has like unconditional love for the person who you really are, who you really were created to be. He has absolute disdain for everything that every sin that ever happens in our life. Right. He understands, you know, he, he loves us anyways, but it's not, it's not unconditional approval of whatever it is that we do and whatever it is that we are. And this is, I think I've used this exact quote before, but GK Chesterton talks about um, how there's a difference between the love of a spouse and the like affection of a friend. And he says, like a friend loves you just for who you are, but a spouse loves you, but never stops trying to change you because they see you for who you really are. They see you for who you can be. They see you for the good things that you do. And when you mess up, they're like, shape up. You're better than this. And God sees into our inmost being that is better than our sin, that he has created to be better than our sin. I think even that dimension of it can kind of play into the temptation to despair. In my own personal struggle with it, the, the temptation is to feel like I have been taking this seriously for about seven years. I'm not very old, so that's not a very impressive number. Uh, percentage-wise, maybe, but it's. But the thing that's frustrating <laughs> is that's that's just about as long as plenty plenty of saints did, right? Yeah. Like, but to feel like I've been taking this seriously for a long time, it feels like to me, seven years is not an insignificant amount of time for anybody, and even still, I am not perfect. I I continue to fall. I know that you see this this the actualization of the person that I could be. You, you know how unholy I am and I've been trying for so long to be holy and I'm not, and I'm not seeing that much progress. It's like such a slow process that is it even worth it to continue trying in response to that, an old spiritual director that I used to have would always say, if God wanted you, and again, this is with caveats, but if God wanted you somewhere other than where you were, you'd be there. Again, the caveat is are you trying? Because God can only work with the effort, right? God can only work if we're disposed to him working. Am I not blatantly sinning? Am I genuinely trying to do his will? And am I genuinely trying to improve myself? If the answer is yes to all three of those, then I am where God means me to be. And I am as perfect as he means me to be. You know, I think I, I actually, again, it's either Catherine of Siena or Teresa of Avila that um, on their deathbed, something happened with one of the sisters around them that was caring for them and they turned and just like snapped out of anger and then they laughed to themselves thinking i've <laughs> i've been trying like t- taking this seriously for what like three times four times as long as the number that i put out there uh and i'm still imperfect even in these small ways right even in these little things kind of a scattered thought but the imperfection and the lack of progress that I see is, is not an excuse or a reason to despair because, like you said, he continues to see the person that we could be and the person that we are and, like, disdains those sins but continues to look past it. Do you think, because this is what happens with me when I, when I see that lack of progress with myself, I've come to realize, and correct me if, you know, maybe you think I'm wrong here, but the fact that you're able to recognize that you're not making the progress I think in its of itself 
is representative of your orientation towards God, that you're still properly orientated towards him to the point that at least you don't have the pride in confusing yourself and thinking that you are better. And I understand, I guess what I'm trying to say is, is that you at least are in the graces of God to recognize that progress might not be made, but that progress is to be made versus somebody who's a sinner who doesn't even recognize that. I, I mean, my own personal like yeah. this is just the way my mind works. I'm sure it's, I'm sure the struggle is different for everyone, but the way that my mind works is I guess I always just assume the worst. Right. Yeah, so right. it's possible even that I've made huge progress over this past year, right. but I'm, I only look at, I maintain a consistently negative view of myself, right? Not, not like I hate myself or anything like that, but I, and more prone to see the faults than the success. Right. Right. Which I guess is more of a general struggle than I give it credit for. But so, yeah, maybe part of it is grace not to not to be prideful. But I think the other part is the temptation to despair over the mm-hmm. what the little bit that I can see. Right. The yeah. other extreme. And yeah. it, I mean, but it is it's it's frustrating, though. It, it, it really is. And I think. God, for whatever reason, likes to do things slowly. Right. He likes his whole i mean the formation of the cosmos right over the course of billions of years he could have snapped it into existence right he could have granted he's gotten outside of time so he doesn't really experience billions of years like we do well we don't experience billions of years (laughs) but you know what i'm trying to say is that like he seems to with with the formation of everything he likes to take his time but dang it if that's not the most frustrating (laughs) thing in the world because i know it's just I mean, like you had said, we are we are where God wants us. Or if, and it, again, with cav- with caveats, but with caviar, um, <laughs> it's I don't know, man. Like receiving the Eucharist every week and daily Mass frequently, you know, it's throughout my life more frequently and less frequently. But come on, man, I should be better right now. That's <laughs> what is is the thought, you know? And I don't know. For whatever reason, what I can, you know, we can't see the way he is. I mean, part of the reason is I think the like slow, the slow growth is the one that like really counts. And I love the image of the tides. How if you have a boat, and I think I've used this before too, um, a boat is like beached on the shore. You need to the tides come in slowly, right? It's a lot of little like coming in a, a lot and then retreating almost completely, and then coming in a lot and then retreating almost completely. And to the untrained eye, like if you were to watch the tides for five minutes, it would look like nothing is happening at all. But really what's happening is it's going in a little bit further and retreating a little bit less and going a little bit further and retreating less. And that's what it seems like with the faith life too is you make big steps and then it almost like it, it recedes and you're like, you almost feel back to where you started. But you're probably a little bit closer. And the way I think about it though is that it needs to be that way. And it's it's frustrating because the analogy isn't perfect because like it doesn't need to be any way with God, right? God can choose to do it any way that he wants. But in this analogy, right? Like the boat, if it was a boat that's like stuck on the beach and a giant tidal wave would just come in and rush it with water, it would break. It would toss and turn, it would capsize, it would toss and turn the waves, probably shatter underneath the force. So it, God is gentle with it. And I imagine maybe it's the same way with us, that if God were to just like infuse us with his grace, like like bam, here comes the tidal wave of my love and mercy, it would just destroy us. Like we would, we would, we would completely shatter. You know, if we really want to stretch the analogy, the, the sad thing is, is that like, the times in our life where we feel a tidal wave of grace is probably it's it's like it's like imagine like the camera angles like all zoomed in on a little like little tiny wave in like a lake 
like oh, and then it like zooms out and it's like it's, it looks like it's huge but you zoom out and it's like nothing you're like oh this huge tidal wave of grace and it's probably like here is your drop for a little bit um and again that I, none of that's obviously doesn't paint god in the perfect image but i do think there's something there with the patience of it and god's infinite patience that we don't have with ourselves right and i think probably the greatest challenge of the spiritual life is to even have an ounce of the patience for yourself that God has for you. This is the, the, the classic, um, we, God doesn't grow tired of forgiving us, we grow tired of asking for forgiveness. Your analogy is consistent as you're talking about the analogy of the boat, just thinking about St. Peter and St. Paul, Abraham, Moses. I mean, again, the, it took years and years and years for you. We, re, we read, you know, in 25 or 30 pages, their progress, but when you put it into historical context, these are years of perfection that's happening with the, even those saints, and I'm sure they felt the same way that we do, and I f- completely agree with you, Eddie. Probably if God were to give Peter the grace that uh, he ended up getting later in his life too early, the mission of the church might have altered. He might not have been prepared for it, or St. Paul might have not had the conversion that he had at the time that he did to do what he did for the church same for abraham and so i believe you know we get stuck in this chronological time it's been seven years it's been several months and i've been praying to you lord i've gone to mass consistently for the last three years or prayed the rosary every day for the last 30 days and nothing's happened i'm still the same person but to god operating outside of chronological time it's all happening when it needs to happen for him, for your encounter and for your mission that you've been called to. And I really believe that. And Christ always stresses that, you know, that Kairos time over Kronos time with the disciples to get them to stop thinking chronologically and to start thinking in the moment, what is happening here and now. Don't focus on your progress that you made over the last seven years. What's the progress that you've made today, made this week? Yeah, I'm sitting here listening to you guys and I'm trying to sympathize. This is really... You guys are opening up here about some tough stuff that I haven't really ever personally experienced. Um, for me, my experience was fell away from the faith at a very young age in my early teens and did a lot of things I wasn't happy with and participated kind of in a hedonistic lifestyle and didn't think that salvation was part of my life and was going to be a part of my life. But I found my way back to the church, found my way back into the faith And I absolutely know 100% that I did not have the capability of doing that, of getting myself there and remaining here. And so that had to have come from Christ recognizing that I am worthy, loving me, calling me, and at least on my part responding to to some degree. So yeah, I've always felt worthy. Since the day I decided to come back to the church, I've always felt worthy because it's like I was drowning in the middle of the ocean and a hand reached out and pulled me out. And I know that I would have never survived on my own, but this person who pulled me out of the water knew that I was worthy and worth saving. And it's just, it's, it's been very powerful to, to, to kind of hear the opposite end of, from you guys. But what I, I will say, just speaking from the heart, if I can come from the place that I was and I was saved, we're all worthy. We're all worthy. Yeah. I just had this thought right now. It's that it's almost like the difference between Mary Magdalene and Peter, because you look at like Mary Magdalene's response to Jesus because she was over, right? She was about to be killed probably, right? And Jesus pulls her out of the darkness and like she's just like, I am just in love with him because I there was no other option besides that. Like 
there's no reason for him to do this for me, right? That's like his her response, and like, but then Peter, on the other hand, who was a Jewish, was was a Jewish, was Jewish, you know, was a practicing Jew. It's almost like it's hard for them because, like you said, look at his first response to Jesus. He says, "Depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man." In the in his life of realizing that, like, all he could see was just the failures of where he failed when he knew he ought to be better because he was living in the faith. And it's almost like, I feel like there's, that's almost like where we're Cody and I are coming from and where you're coming from is like, Jesus picked you up out of the mud mm. and cleaned you up. Whereas Jesus came into my, our lives where we thought we were doing okay. And when we encountered his love, it's like, almost like we're like, Whoa, we have not been doing okay. Like, it's, like I, 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 I like to think about it with Peter. It's like, it's almost it's not until he encountered Christ that he really realized how sinful he was. Like I don't think he woke up fishing that day and was like, "Man, I'm just the worst," right? I think he probably thought like like I'm pretty good at like, you know, I do my my the stuff I need to do. And again, I don't know. But I think it's like it's when he encountered like I said that bright light of Christ, the love of God, and he just withered. He was like, "Oh my gosh." Like cuz you know, it's like sometimes you can't see the shadows in your life like where are the areas in your life and you have shadows until there's a bright light shining on them. And then all of a sudden you're like, Oh, there's one and there's another and there's another. Whereas with Mary Magdalene and in your case, like you were already in complete darkness. So like when it lit up, you're like, Whoa, this is, this is awesome. <laughs> where we're, we're like, we had a little bit of light, but it was just dim enough to like only kind of see. And when the light came in and we're like, I did not see any of this garbage and there's a lot. Right. And then we, our response is depart from me, Lord. And well um, said, the neat thing, very well said. The neat thing about that analogy, too, is that means that we get to be Pope and you don't. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, and it's, I don't know, I, I, I appreciate both of you guys. I appreciate everything that you guys have shared. I just, I mean, it, I, and I know I've talked to both of you guys about it recently, too, is just like, I especially, I think, have just really felt it, this exact, what we've been talking about. You know the, the the song "Come Thou Font" as people people like brush it off as like kind of like oh it's just an old church song but like the lyrics are so profound and the the lyric that always just it just wrecks my heart every time is where where he just sings uh, prone to wander Lord I feel it prone to leave the God I love I don't know, I just I, I feel like that unworthiness I feel that like my heart and my in I I almost I can see my inmost being I see who God wants me to be but like I lose sight of it so easily it's like in, when I'm in prayer I. I like I know God like what, who you created me to be. I know what you want. I know our relationship, but then I leave the chapel and like instantly I'm like, yeah, but like sin's pretty cool and like I and not even like just sin, but just like laziness and just sloth. Yeah, but God, I just want to go home and watch Netflix all day. You know, I don't want to climb towards you today, and it's just I wander away from Him so quickly that it's just it's been a struggle. But um, I th- you know I think it's important to talk about. I think it's important to, to move past and to, to paint ourselves in the image of who we really are and to not, not give in to despair, to struggle against it, to wrestle with it until it blesses you <laughs> and knocks out your hip bone. <laughs> <laughs> so you can't walk anymore. No, truly. Yeah. Well, yeah. One of the final images that I'll, I'll end with is and we've talked about this before is just Christ on the cross, his, adversaries that were standing there getting ready to pierce his side with a lance they've nailed him they've beaten him he's bleeding everywhere and his the words that he utters out of his mouth are forgive them father for they know not what they do and he's he's able to sit there and forgive them and 
he saw worthiness in them. Maybe like we said, not no approval of the action, but the potential, the potential for that sinner to be that far into the darkness to come back to the light was worthy enough of him forgiving them and asking for forgiveness of them. And he's, they didn't realize it at the time, but he's nailed to that cross for them. Back to the Bishop Fulton Sheen thing. Even just in that moment, it was that one man holding that one lance in his hand. Christ was doing that for him. And so when you think about that powerful image there and want to talk about worthiness, that guy was worthy of, the, of salvation. So are all of we. And that, that's, that's sometimes the powerful imagery that I have in my mind to think about that Christ forgive even the man holding the lance in his hand in front of him. I'm, I I'm should be just as worthy in that category then too. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> oh, the contemplative life guys. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't really have anything else to say. I don't want to ramble for the sake of rambling. So, uh, that's the sinner's take. Jesus loves you. Yes, I know. And you are the Bible tells me so. <laughs> wasn't supposed to be kitschy, and then you made it <laughs> kitschy. Uh, God bless you guys. Keep up the, the struggle. <laughs>